All right. How do we even get into this? I think we just have to jump. Can't think about it. Say, Ryan, I once heard somebody say that art is cheap. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it can be. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) When the choice seems to be to tear down the church or build a wall around it, we aim to walk the narrow road of nuance through the wilderness between the warring factions and try to figure out what it means to love God and people well. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for today's episode. As you can tell, we had a little bit of difficulty getting into the topic, and part of that's because there's so many different directions that it can be taken and that we wanted to take it at at times. Uh, So a little word of warning, we did chase some rabbits, but none of them were harmed in the making of this episode. So anyway, we do hope this provides some food for thought, makes you think as it did us, and as always, please let us know what you are thinking about. and how these things resonate within your life. All right, here we go. Yes, I I do think art can be cheap. Um, We have talked a lot about placing value in what you do and using your gifting and and things like that. And I think personally, without trying to be too cynical, that there is a place where art is made for profit and not necessarily to say a whole lot. Um... And I think then we're cheapening the gifts we've been given. And this conversation was not even about art when we started it. We were it actually wasn't. talking about we were talking about work mm-hmm. and some of the experiences that we've had in the business world, whatever that means. And yeah. that um, we have encountered people, companies, organizations, what have you, where it seems like they've sort of lost their why or their purpose, and um are doing things kind of in the name of a paycheck or the name of a bottom line, or it it, it just seems like they're uh, like the passion and the why either is not there or isn't in the right place and that they continue to operate. They continue to churn stuff out, but there isn't this kind of self-reflection doesn't seem to be from the outside anyway about, well, what is it that we're doing? What problem are we trying to solve? And, um, I'm somebody who kind of sees overlap between all different kinds of creativity. To me, it's just all moving ideas around, basically. And so what makes sense in one arena often can translate or be helpful in understanding what go, what happens in another. And so um, we got to talking about art made by people of faith and the specifically the way that Christianity, the religion of Christianity, kind of administers that responds to it, reacts to it, makes space for it. I think any of you that listened to our conversation with Andy um, could hear that one of the things that was really attractive to me in talking to him was that one one of the threads I noticed in his music more than 10 years ago was that was trying to make sense of that thing. He has a song mm-hmm. on his uh, EP, Our Voice is a Weapon, called Stumble on the Line that I encourage everybody to listen to. And... It's very much about, you know, some poor dude just trying to figure it out and trying to express it in a way that helps other poor folks who are trying to figure it out. But as, as again, if you listened, I'm sure you heard, having to deal with some frustration or some trying to make sense of the fact that here's a song that's an honest expression of a follower of Jesus' heart and experience that is not going to be appropriate 
for church? And what does it mean for something to not be appropriate for church, especially Hmm. when, as we talked with Josh about, uh, a lot of what's not appropriate in church, like there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is not going to pass that test either. <laughs> it's not appropriate for church. There, but yeah. but not just that. That there's a lot of art, what we would call art, you know, poetry or music or narrative or parable or or what have you. There's a lot of art in the Bible that would not be appropriate for church, and mm-hmm. often gets ignored or excluded from sermons and songs and studies and whatnot. So. Or the meaning of it is diluted to make it appropriate, and yeah, you, you miss what's really being conveyed. I once listened to um, to a, a podcast interview. This was a, the Bible Project, which I heartily recommend, and they were talking about uh, the book of Jonah and its kind of literary significance, and that many children's book versions of jo- Jonah will chop off the end of the story. They'll stop when Nineveh repents, and they'll leave out the bit where the prophet of God is a total jerk and wants all the Ninevites to die and doesn't repent <laughs> you know like that that's often excluded because we think that kids are i mean i i can't recall when i actually went back and read that but it was like oh this isn't m- most of the story doesn't play out the way that that i've heard it mm-hmm. well and, and you mentioned that i don't know if we've talked about this we went um me and my wife and three kids we went to the creation museum and the ark encounter Hmm. in Kentucky over the uh, the fall. And they have a room in there called, in the ark, called the Fairy Tale Ark Room, I believe is what it's called. And it's this room that has a whole lot of the art and the cute little pictures and, and uh, you know, all the, all the fun stuff you see, the, the small little ark with all the oversized animals coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole room existed to basically talk about how we are making it unbelievable by the way we illustrate or or show these things. Like you've literally just made a picture of something that's not possible if the animals are that big and the ark is that (laughs) small. So yes, it looks cute in the church nursery or whatever, but it makes it look unbelievable. And they had, they had a lot in there. I was trying to kind of pull it up to, to see, but there were quotes all over the walls. And one of them said, if I can convince you that the flood was not real, then I can convince you that heaven and hell are not real. And it just kind of, you know, really kind of painted this picture of us making this a story about animals instead of the judgment of, of a wicked world. Hmm. And we've made it so cute and so kid-friendly, you know, story-time friendly, that it's not having the impact of what it really was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, yeah. we, we gloss over the fact that this was a, a condemnation on, on wicked people to make it a cute story. I mean, it, it's kind of really, when you think about it that way, it's like, okay, this is weird. Like... The way we treat it. Oh, dude, it's weirder than that, though. It's not just because there's this whole thread that runs through the Hebrew Bible about um, God's judgment, not just on human evil, but spiritual Mm -hmm. evil, and that there's a whole supernatural backdrop to that that I'm not going to get into right now, but but that's even more bizarre to modern people, and, and that those threads run through there, too. But like Ryan and I were having a conversation before we hit record about some of the supernatural stuff in the Bible and some of the, and how that kind of shows up in church and what people's expectations are of it. And that, you know, that's another thread that we just don't like to have to interact with. And that mm-hmm. there are parts of the Bible that are really weird and scary. And that some of the, 
supernatural stuff and, and the supernatural entities it describes, we'd really rather that that be left out. We're fine with Jesus. We're fine with grace and, you know, love your neighbor and stuff. But there, there's this whole, like, uh, cosmic battle thing going on <laughs> that we'd just as soon not be in there. And it's it's expressed in stories like what you just said, Ryan. Yeah. That there's this, and we're not even comfortable with the surface reading, much less the layers of the depth of it. Mm-hmm. And so, like... A lot of the art or the way that we represent it or present it is not even being true to the surface reading, much less the other stuff that God, through the Holy Spirit, through those authors, wanted us to latch on to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, I like the way on one of the things they they had, you know, it's not a story about a fun boat ride with cute animals, like, mm. and that's essentially what we've made it, and um, it was pretty cool. You'll have to remind me to send you some of the stuff, but... Um, I say pretty cool. That that's not really the word to describe it. it. It's one of those things you're just reading. You're like, man, like how have we let this get to this point? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of uh, kind of all the ripples that the movie The Passion of the Christ made when it was released, mm-hmm. and that uh, I only watched it once. That was enough. Yeah, but that uh, it it can be easy to gloss over the reality. Uh, of what Jesus had to go through and yeah. the reality of what his followers had to go through in the wake of the crucifixion. And that like for those three days, you know, things were really bad for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate that people like Mel Gibson were, were just willing to like force you to confront the reality of the situation that the scripture describes in the barest of detail. And um, I remember that being very impactful. I don't don't know that you need to see a movie like that more than once necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it even took me a while to finally watch it. It's not one of those things. No, we we did. I think my family went and saw it in the theater, but uh, I've maybe seen it once since. It's not like a movie you're just like, Oh hey, let's all get together and watch this. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that kind of thing. It's a sobering reminder, and and I think you know things like that. I think they help us to kind of realign with realities. Mm-hmm. Something like that should help you kind of stay there to where you're not having to constantly go back to that necessarily. Not that you shouldn't have to be reminded at times, but that's a tough thing to you're thinking. So you, maybe you can oh, yeah. say that better than I'm trying to. So you just hit on something. You remarked. Yeah. That's not something that you would just put on. Right. And you're right. Now let's think about that. Why? Because uh, because of the truth that it makes you confront. Exactly. And that, that gets me into thinking of, of sacred rhythms. So mm-hmm. in uh, ancient Judaism is a, a religion, if I can call it that, built on rhythms. The rhythm yeah. of the harvest, of the feasts, of the daily, of the weekly, of the... Um, of the yearly, of the every seven years, of the other 70 years, they had sacred rhythms built into their lives that were supposed to make them mindful of who God was, what he'd done for them, how they were supposed to relate. And that's like, if you go read Leviticus to our modern eyes, it seems terrible, but really all that stuff is in there. It's about reminding, it's about remembrance and mindfulness Mm -hmm. of this is how we relate to God. And there isn't any area of our lives that we don't acknowledge his lordship, not his like, 
exhaustive control over the minutia. I don't think it's about that, but it's about do you in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths kind of thing. And so you you bring out the point that do we have sacred rhythms of reflection, of lamentation, of, yeah. you know, uh, imprecation? Do we have that built into our 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 Christianity, really? We no. are a church. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never to answer that for you? No. Yeah. It, it, uh, and so so you're right. It would feel strange to say, well, let's all gather and watch this film together yeah. at, at somebody's house. It would be weird to say, hey, let's have a small group come over and we're just going to read Lamentations. We're not going to mm-hmm. discuss it. Or let's just have somebody stand up and read the law. That happened a couple of times where the whole, actually more than a couple, mm-hmm. where the whole assembly would gather together and one of the, somebody, priest or whomever would stand up and read it. And like all that stuff if, seems strange because we don't have those rhythms there. Yeah. And we, and we should, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's tough because you, you look at Christian art and you look at things that I don't know. I don't know if there ever needs to be another movie like that made. Um, now I hesitate there to, to say, say it was. Yeah, no, I think they did it right. I don't want to say they did it. It feels weird to say they did well. Like I mean, they did it right. Um, it was done in a way that aligns you. How I think we need to be aligned at times, but it doesn't need to be redone. And, and how well does that feed into a model that's trying to make a profit? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what's tough with the. With Christian art, as you look at, to your point, you look at things that take time. You know, we, what do we say? It makes you confront something that's tough. Yeah. You know, if that's not something you're going to do very often, then there's not a whole lot of profit to be made out of it, right? And so, do you make songs that are going to be tough for people to listen to repeatedly? That royalty check from Spotify is not going to be very great. Well, so it's not going to be great anyway. <laughs> right. But, uh, that's true. That's true. That's a whole different conversation. But, yeah. but yeah, no, I mean, you, you want something that's going to... I'd say make people feel good because I, I don't want to blanket everything like that, but there has to be some of that, right? Yeah. Um, well, you have to, because our background is at least somewhat in business, it's it's a supply and demand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a quote market that size yeah. and that we've remarked before that I don't think that most of the people involved in the Christian industry of any sort are ill-intentioned or bad people, or even sinful necessarily. I'm not accountable for what they have between them and the Lord. But, you know, it's it's possible to have the right intentions and the wrong method, and vice versa. Yeah. And I, I think what, what we're kind of hitting on is that if you wrote down on paper, do we want art that makes us consider our the fact that we need grace? Yes. Do we want art that forces us to confront the reality of life under the sun, as it were. Yes. Do we want art that um, reminds us of the things that God has done for us and and of our own weakness that we needed him? I think everybody would, would check those boxes. But the reality of it is, are we willing to do what's necessary to make space for it? And this isn't just about art, really, but I think our art is a reflection of our relationships, both with each other and with God. Yeah. I remarked to, may have been to you, I've said it to more than one person recently, but um, I'm kind of coming out of a, uh, <laughs> what I've been calling my scab pulling season, <laughs> in the sense that I became aware that there were a lot of areas in my life that I that, that needed my attention, and that I had been 
very lax in in some of my relationships and in my honesty and vulnerability. And e- even that is a, a nice, safe, vanilla, <laughs> appropriate for the podcast way to say that. But um, mm-hmm. but basically, that there is the appearance of vulnerability, and then there's actual vulnerability. Mm-hmm. There's the hurt that will com- that we're comfortable expressing, and then there's the actual hurt that's behind it. And then I had to admit to myself that I was walling the people that care for me off from the real stuff going on inside me. And I could, you know, talk with anybody about anything, even things that are deep or difficult and all that stuff. That's not the same thing as as sharing my stuff with somebody. And I had to kind of confront that and build rhythms into my life that ensured that the people who are close to me that I care for and who care for me and have my best interest in mind have access to the real me and can ask, hey, what's going on? And I answer truly. And I think that's a little kind of, that's a little picture of how it can be when we're relating to what kind of art we surround ourselves with in, in the same way as you can wall yourself off from relationships that hold you accountable and that really want your best and won't leave you to wallow in your sin mm-hmm. or your despair or depression or dis- disappointment or discouragement. That's a lot of D words in one sentence. Uh, but I, I, th- I think we would rather be inspired than encouraged. There's, there's a level of accountability we're comfortable with because it acknowledges that something's wrong without being specific. And in our acknowledgement of it, we are not really expected to make progress because we, we're all in the same boat and who really wants to unter- overturn that log mm-hmm. and see the creepy crawlies under it. And so then it's no wonder we avoid those parts of the Bible that are difficult yeah. and we avoid art that tells those stories that we don't want to hear. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a certain level of accountability or vulnerability that's honorable to see, but then are are you doing anything with that? Are you having conversations with people who can help you? Because I think we get to a point where we don't want to show that. And we try so hard not to show that, that at a point we aren't comfortable even being real with the people who should be close to us, like you said, you know, mm-hmm. and we've kind of put that wall up and if you keep building it up, it's not just going to come down easily, you know, no. to your point that the scab pulling, I think that's an interesting way to put it. You've got to for it to heal, right? Yeah. But, but it's not fun. Yeah. We mentioned a minute ago that Israel's relationship with God was one built on remembrance. Mm-hmm. The first instance in the Bible of, of it describing itself being written is in Exodus 17, and this is before Israel, they've left Egypt, but it's before they get to Sinai, I believe, and there are these folks who came and attacked them on the way. It's not important who they are, but basically, they win the battle, and this is the, the instance where Moses holds his hands up over his head, and as long as he raises his staff, the Israelites are winning, and then when mm-hmm. he drops them, they lose, kind of a random aside. Uh, so all, all this happens, they win the battle. This is Exodus seventeen fourteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, so on and so forth. So this is the first instance of the writing of the Bible mentioned in the Bible. And I don't think it's an accident that, it's, that God specifically says, write this down as something to be remembered. Mm-hmm. And this continues. You know, we, we have the scriptures now because people continue to do that. And yeah. if you ever wonder, 
Like there's a bunch of weird, random stuff in the Bible. If if you've read any any amount of it, you you run into stuff where it's just like, what in the world is this? And that's a clue. If you see something weird, it's there for a reason, and it's supposed to draw your attention to something that God did at one time. It's supposed to, even if it's strange, it's hmm. it's part it's part of a larger story of something that's happening, and um, and that needs to be remembered. That needs to be remembered, and yeah. it wasn't. A lot of stuff's not good that God wants us to remember. A lot of the, I mean, there, there's good stuff that happens, but then there's a lot of things where, like you, you see a ta- the name of a town mentioned, and it's not good what happened at that town. Mm-hmm. You see, um, like somebody in a genealogy table, their name is listed there, and it's like, ooh. That was not a good dude. <laughs> right. He was up to some crazy stuff. Or, um, you know, why do we, why do we have the prophets? You know, like what? Why do we have all these? Sometimes, what seemed like overly and arbitrarily detailed railings against Israel about stuff that happened thousands of years ago. Why is this holy scripture? Why should we care? It's because it's something to be remembered, mm-hmm. and because something happened that God wants us to pay attention to. And in the same way that the poetry of the prophets or of Lamentations or the Psalms, even the stuff that's pretty gnarly is in there is because God wants us to remember it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that should be kind of part of the purpose of our art too, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that we create. It, it should be doing more than just having a catching beat or, you know, oh, well, those words just sound good together. And not that there's not some of that, but what is it really saying, you know? Yeah, I think I told you the other day, I wrote this song that's good, but it means nothing to me. It's literally just one of those things I think people would like because it's a cool song. It's not saying much of anything, really, that's important to my life. And even just saying it, it's like, you know, now thinking about what you just said, it's like, well, that's kind of weird then. <laughs> like, what's, what's the purpose of it, you know? Is it writing something just so so people will like it or, you know? You just ask a good question. What's the purpose of it? And I think that we, a lot of the stuff we do, we don't actually ask that question. Mm -mm. We have not paused to reflect and remember. So there's a musical term that shows up, particularly in the Psalms a lot, Selah, which Mm -hmm. uh, uh, pause and remember is a good way to kind of interpret that word. Like, okay, we've we've recited this stanza. Y'all hang on a minute. Like, pray, take a moment. We don't need to rush on to the next thing. And I wonder, <laughs> Ryan and I were talking about kind of different styles of churches that we've been in. You know, if when you play music, you get into all kinds of different kinds of groups of people who approach things differently, which has been great for me. I've really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah. at times has been really challenging as well mm-hmm. when you encounter something that you don't know how to make sense of. But, you know. Or there's no way to make sense of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I've been in churches who I would say were content to wait upon the Lord mm-hmm. and that they had an expectation that the people of God are gathered together in his name and we're going to do more than execute what's on the bulletin. We are yeah. going to wait. We are going to listen and we are going to allow what could be uncomfortable space to happen to see if the Holy Spirit is going to do something or say something to somebody because cause that's, a, that's a part of sacred rhythm. Mm-hmm. is building space to go chew on it, to contemplate it. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, even the environment we're allowing, yeah, for art 
Um, well, not just art, but faith, really. So th- this is something else I've thought about, that if a lot of us are not comfortable being honest with ourselves about ourselves, I've realized, particularly mm-hmm. about me, like that's that's kind of what I was alluding to, and that that's uncomfortable enough as it is. So if I'm already not building in time to reflect upon myself and my relationship with God and the things that I might need to change or work on or allow him to you know, break off and rebuild, then I'm probably not going to then make space in my, quote, liturgy or church experience for, for that to happen to us as a body of believers. And if you gather a whole bunch of those folks together, or us folks, I should say, because we all, I think, have done this, then like a church is the collective expression of the people who are in it to a certain degree. And it's kind of like, well, what does this market want? Yeah. I think we've used the term surface level a few times already. And I think that's what we like. To be honest with others, you have to first be honest with yourself. That's why there's certain things we're okay with being vulnerable about. Because they're the things that we're okay admitting to ourselves. So therefore, we're okay with admitting to others. Mm-hmm. It's another to truly come to terms with who we are as humans and get to a point, and it can be, even be a dangerous point, but a point of understanding how depraved we are, how in need of a Savior we are, how just not good, you know? The, the Bible's pretty clear that there's none of us who are good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's literally in there. It says, not one. And if we can come to terms with that and understand it, there's a whole lot more room for God to move and a whole lot more room for us to be honest with just, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a pretty crappy person and that's why I need people. And I think we get in this mindset where we feel like we need to be needed. I think I've been bad about that in the past where you know, I need to be needed. I'm going to help people. And, and when you do that and put up that wall because you want to help people with their problems, you never get help with your problems. Yeah. And then you're just, you end up being in a really bad place that can lend itself to a lot of narcissism and a lot of false belief in yourself and false brokenness before others. Just a whole lot of fake is what it is. False brokenness. That's a powerful, yeah, it's a powerful phrase. It, uh, one of the things that's kind of an undercurrent running through what you're saying is it costs something. Yeah. And the whole thing we're talking about is art that doesn't cost us much because mm-hmm. so, at least some of the time we have a faith that doesn't cost us much. It doesn't cost us or we don't allow it to cost us taking up that instrument of execution that Jesus said we were supposed to take up every day and dying to ourselves so that he can live in us. And if that's what we're doing, then of course the art that we're going to consume and surround ourselves with is going to be at least to some degree a reflection of that. Yeah. Well, and and you use the word cost there a few times. I I think it made me think of a conversation I had with a good friend of mine the other day. Um, As we were talking, we, we kind of live in this economy where we think if we do one thing, it should yield this other thing. Hmm. And when you're talking about relationships and people, that's that's just not how it works. Like just because I do this doesn't mean I get this. I can't, do these things expecting it to earn me something like those things have to be given. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's tough because then you get moments where you feel like you've been wronged um, because you've put so much time and effort in and and not that that's a bad thing to put that time and effort. I think we've talked about it before you get broken or or get 
wronged in ways and then you stop doing that so you start taking those shortcuts where it's oh i've been burnt here before so let me see how this is going to pan out in these two hours and then i'll Mm -hmm. know if i'm going to do it anymore or not yeah and that's that's not right but it's smart (laughs) is maybe a way to say it It's, it's, it's smart to avoid wasting your time as a person now as a believer what should i do differently knowing it's it's not supposed to be there's nothing in it for me necessarily yeah and i'm not sure exactly how to relate that to art but you got me thinking and so i just said it was on my head there there's a line in one of the uh so i like the book dune and the movie books better of course but in one of the sequels there's a line what good is your religion if it costs you nothing and carries no risk and mm, and to build I'm, I'm on yeah, to build on ahead. top of that like and, and it's an honest question it's it's not a statement it's like go think about this what good is our art if it costs us nothing and carries no risk yeah yeah and and man i think we have to start being honest with ourselves and and thinking about it but then answering that question it's one thing to think on and at some point we've got to come to terms with it and say a lot of church culture, the organization has, and, and again, I'm not blanketing. I never want that to be, and I'm not trying to bash here, but a lot of what we have put in place as Christians in this day and time does not cost us much of anything, at least I would say in America. Hmm. I'm obviously not going to make that statement for around the world because obviously with events today, there are people paying high prices for their faith. I think the majority of people that I am surrounded by do not have that high of a price to pay. It does not cost you much of anything, and therefore it becomes cheap. We've all heard the term probably cheapening of grace. I've heard it in reference to living as if we can, and almost talking as if we can earn grace, how it cheapens it. If we could earn it, why did God have to send his son? And you know, that's the truth. We we can't. If we're going to be honest, we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. Again, we're... We're a pretty sorry people, if we're honest. Um, it's not fun to say, but but if we act like we're something more than what we are, we don't truly understand the gospel. It's probably the best way to say that. And I think a lot of the time that we don't, honestly, and I mean we, yeah. I'm, I'm including myself in that assessment. Right. I think a lot of the time our our mindset re- reflects the the religious leader who was praying and said, thank God I'm not like this man. Thank God I'm not like this poor sinner over here. Because it's one thing, it's easy to admit in church circles, yeah, I'm broken, yeah, I'm a sinner, because everybody has been trained to say that and agree with it. It's another thing to feel it in your gut. It's another thing to look at your life and see the reality of it. It's another thing to look at relationships in shambles because of your choices and have to confront the reality of your own sinfulness. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, as somebody who has had to do those things in the recent future, like that is just not any amount of fun at all. And I, th- I think a lot of the time I, I, I'm more like that guy who says, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not like, I'm not really bad. I, I have most of my stuff together. There's like five or 10% over here that I could probably do better about, but God's cool. You know, he knows I'm kind of working on it and, you know, uh, I walk the aisle, so we're cool, and I pray, and I go to church. And, and th- th- these are things that I've, in one way or another, told myself. Not, I mean, it sounds so cliche, doesn't it? That that's 
that's a cliche we talk about in church, but mm-hmm. the reality is it can it can be so easy to convince yourself I'm not like those people, whoever those people are, whether they're from across the sea or across town or across the aisle or, you know, across the house. It can be really easy to build this idol out of yourself that just doesn't have any basis in reality. And that idol is not interested in yeah. any kind, any level of self-reflection. But we live in an age where self-reflection is the push, right? Self-reflection, self-awareness, self Now I'm I'm going to betterment. I'm going to beat the crap out of that right now, okay? Because most of that is a a a twisting of image of God stuff. Because mm-hmm. the image of God is you are worth something. The 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 image of the age is is you are owed something. Like I, I I've <laughs> I've said before, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the phrase human rights. I would use the phrase human worth, and that's different. Hmm. And I, I don't mean to turn this into a political discussion. It, it's just that, like, I don't everything I have is a gift. Everything has been given to me. The breath that's current that I'm using to talk, like all my my very existence is is, is owed to someone other than myself. Whatever your thoughts about how God expresses his sovereignty, at some point he set everything in mo- motion and it's still going, okay? <laughs> so yeah. we, we can depend on that. But, but like, uh, I'm a dearly beloved son, and yet I am mortal and I'm finite and I'm going to make mistakes, and I have, and I'm all too, at this point in my life, I'm all too aware of what some of those are. But God rich in mercy, mm-hmm. you know? And he, beyond anything that I could hope to aspire to, he still invites me to be a part of his family give, and invites me to a station and a task and a calling far beyond what I could ever hope to achieve for myself. And that is what he is like. That is not the current, that's not the focus of the current movement of like self-actualization and self-celebration. Yeah. That, the movement, that movement that we see in our culture anyway is you are a god. And you worship yourself, worship your feelings, worship your inclinations, worship your definition of what love is, what's your definition of what an acceptable person is, of what an acceptable relationship is. You get what you feel that you want right now and screw everything and everyone else. Like that destroys people. Like that's, (laughs) sorry, that I didn't mean to go on a rant about that. It just, it really bugs me because it masquerades as building people up and investing in their self-esteem and their sense of self-worth. And really it's just telling them, worship yourself and the desires of your heart, which <laughs> the desires of your heart are going to run you off a cliff, mate. And yeah. I can, I can tell you that as somebody who has allowed mine to. Yeah. Yeah. Our desires are trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's why scripture tells us to, to match our desires with, with God's and we don't. Right. I mean, we we still keep our our wants, our desires, our everything. You know, you, you mentioned mentioned a lot of stuff. And so I, <laughs> I'm trying not to chase 12 rabbits Sorry. with one statement. No, oh. no, it's good. I'm glad you did. That's in no way a uh, critique of what you said. It's more of my desire to process it all. Um, there's certain things that aren't an issue if we identify as children of God. Hmm. But we are too concerned 
with different things, with, with identifying in, in other ways, with whether it be success in whatever way. Well, I mean, it's all success, but it's success in worldly ways, typically, you know, and those all detract from what and why we are here. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1 starts off with the description that God made humans in his image. And they're kind of, I may have talked about this before, I can't remember. There are two connotations that an ancient Near Eastern person would have had when they heard that phrase, image of God. One was they would have thought of the king or the queen of their province, city, nation, whatever, mm-hmm. because most of those, ancient, or many of those ancient civilizations believed that their rulers were either the gods incarnate or they were possessed by the gods or they were given divine right to rule by the gods. But that was like the king and his family. That wasn't, you know, Joe farming, <laughs> you know, right. or Jane the merchant or whatever, that you were removed from that. And then the second thing they would have thought of is that those same rulers often would have statues of themselves made and put out in the provinces and in like the marketplaces of the towns mm-hmm. and they would put their decrees and stuff like that. And and so that was the image of the god um, or the image of the king or the ruler. And they would put proclamations with it. So it was meant to say, this is what this ruler is like. Yeah. But in Genesis 1, all of humanity is an image of God, which would have been to- totally blown their minds because that was in marked difference to everything else that everybody believed at, you know, when, when that was written. And kind of comes back to who's on the throne, doesn't it? Because if God is the one on the throne, then the images we were, that we make, which are ourselves, but then also the art that we make to reflect what he is like, it points to the one who's sitting on the throne. Mm-hmm. But if we're sitting on it, then the art we make is going to look more like us and less like him. And I think you see that even creep into what, what we would you know, term worship music. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it's self-reflected. Yeah. More about who we are than who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's tough to talk about in many ways, um, especially when most people who are listening to this know those songs very well, likely mm-hmm. like those songs, likely sing those songs on Sunday morning. Um, so I, I'm trying not to be critical of it, but I think there should be an awareness of it. Um, it's just not the whole picture, I guess is what I would say, because it's it's much easier to be encouraged than it is to be exhorted. I may be using those terms wrong, but basically it, it's like, it's nice to hear you're doing a good job, you're awesome. It's nicer to hear that than it is <laughs> You're awesome, but maybe work on this. Yes, but what's what's better for you? I, I had a I used to get so aggravated. Trust, yeah, I should say this. I had a Sunday school teacher at one point who, at the end of every lesson, as we were going to leave, every week never failed. The, the sentiment as we were leaving would be, "But y'all are doing good because you're here. Y'all know what you're doing," and it's like. No, man, that's not true. No. <laughs> like you're, you're wrong. And why not just be more blunt about it? Like about the struggle that he, he was likely going through, that he knew people were going through. Because th- then you would even get the odd, you know, or the un- normal moments where someone would be very honest about the struggle they're dealing with. And then, oh, it's time to leave. So that comes out. And it's like, no, they just told you they're not. Like that they're yeah. struggling here. And that brings it back to sacred rhythm. Have we... 
have we written our rhythms to leave space for those moments? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I would rather someone just tear into me when I need it than, you know, tell me I'm doing good. Okay. Here's um, everything wrong with you. <laughs> just give me the list. Um, <laughs> not because it's fun, but I think be- because of what I've come to see as my relationship with Christ has grown, I know I'm not doing good. Hmm. So when you tell me that, I just instantly think you're an idiot. Um, not that that's okay for me to think, but that's where my mind goes. Well, I may be an idiot, though. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny about that. I mean, no, but, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> well, like I've had, it's, sometimes it's taken people who mm-hmm. care about me coming to me and saying, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. And not in a belligerent or confrontational way necessarily, just like, man, I, I have a deep concern for your well-being, and I'm seeing these things, and I'm just, what's going on? That's that's different mm-hmm. than, you know, Joe off the street reading you a list of your faults. Right. Or Joe off the pew, as the case may be. I think there's a very important um, thing to notice there in what you said. And that is that there are certain people in your life that are there for reasons and certain people who would not have the same effect. Mm-hmm. It may be easy for me to want to to go say something to someone or think I could say something and get a good point across, but that relationship may not be there. Mm. And so I think there's an importance in, in being in community where there are people who can say those things. You know, not Not that everybody in your community can say that to you and get away with it. But if there is no one who can, I think it's worth asking yourself why you don't think you need it. Yeah. You know, you know I, the, if, you, if you take a survey of the, quote, harsh things that are in the Bible, when God is being what we, we might call vindictive in his judgment or in his discipline, or when the prophets are being really harsh in the way that they're describing Israel's idolatry, it is easy to forget the the well of long suffering that precedes those things and, but but also these are not things that are just spoken into a vacuum this is one of the things that scripture tends to come under fire for because you'll have people who open to this or that incident and they'll say look what god is doing god's a monster mm-hmm. how can you possibly it's like well yeah this is pretty harsh look at the 100 years of history leading up to this And all the ways that these folks deliberately flipped him the bird repeatedly Mm -hmm. in every way they could possibly come up with. And then it puts it into perspective a little bit. But but then also that these are his children. Not just in the general sense, but it's it's in the mouths of the prophets all the time. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you to myself. I formed you as a people. I rescued you from that. I gave you a way to live. I separated you from the nations and protected you. I blessed your lands and your people and your crops. Like I, I prepared all these good things in advance for you. And it's out of that heart that I'm now admonishing you that like the chaos I'm protecting you from and the destruction that's going to come upon you if you keep doing what you're doing, like I'm holding it away from you and that's my motivation. And in the same way as a person, can do that yeah i mean if you go read ezekiel or jeremiah it sounds like some crazy nut is just shrieking at people while they walk by the marketplace but it's different when they have the history they and their fathers and mothers have the history of knowing what god has done and turning their back on it and Mm -hmm. i think it's 
that's a more helpful lens to think about what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Well, and, and back to your point, I mean, that's, that's what happens when you fail to remember. Mm, yeah. When you, when you fail to kind of look at what's happened. I mean, that's, that's why it's important to not just try to get rid of things that we don't like, mm-hmm. but to acknowledge them and to understand. And, and I don't say that to get political either. Not <laughs> to your comment earlier. That's not my goal here. But when you try to undo things that were done, it can have a very negative effect. Yeah. There's a line in a John Mark McMillan song called The Goodness. There are two lines, I guess. It opens with, when the day has run its course, you are the goodness. And then there's a line a couple, a couple lines later. You are my reward when all the years have failed us. And sometimes I get to the end of a day that didn't go well or had really hard things in it. And I need that reminder lodged in my brain and my heart. Like it's like a little anchor for God to hang good things on, if you like, Hmm. because then I'm forced to remember. And even when I feel like I'm surrounded by failure, my own, or just like the brokenness of living under the sun, uh, that I'm not, those are not what I hang my hope on. And yeah. I, I'm grateful that that dude wrote that song mm-hmm. <laughs> and that God can now use that, write this down as something to be remembered. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to, you, you listen to Andy, to his music, and it, it does tell a story so well mm-hmm. where, you, where you see that. You know, I think of just art that's so honest and sometimes just has that story behind it. There's not as much room, I don't feel like, for story and art anymore. I, I like every now and then to go back, and I, I know you're a Rich Mullins kind of fan too, but like if you go back and watch some of his concerts, like he's just kind of honestly telling you at times where the song came from, and it, it's not always from a good place. You know, I, I, He wrote a song called Hold Me Jesus. That's probably one of my favorite songs. And he tells the story of just being super lonely in a hotel room in Amsterdam, you know, and... That that's where this song came from, and it's like, I, I don't know. There's a um, have we talked about the Ragamuffin movie? Maybe a little bit. It it paints a pretty good picture of kind of his life and the things he went through, and you see where that art comes from, and it it means a lot more then mm-hmm. when you're able to look back and see the history. Um, I reflect on that, and I think good art should, however you want to define good art, mm-hmm. but good art should put you in a place where you can can do that be it whatever medium you know music or painting or storytelling or or, or whatever it is you know it should put you in a place to where if you can't like immediately reflect at least put you in a place to reflect selah well that's going to do it for episode 18 as always thank you for joining us it means the world to us that uh, these are conversations that are important to you all. And, and we hope that this is not the only conversation you're listening to, but that you're having conversations based on what you're hearing here. Please go out and follow us on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram so you're up to date with what we're doing. And make sure you're subscribed. We've got a episode that we've already recorded that will be coming out soon that you're not going to want to miss. All right, till next time.